This is the Influence Leadership Podcast, Episode 42. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Influence Leadership Podcast with Chris Fuller, where our heart is to develop leaders like you and help you increase your individual influence and your leadership skill set. I'm Brett Duncan, and I am here today with Chris Fuller. Hello, Chris. Hey, Brett. How are you? And I'm doing great. Good day. I'm actually in the office for a little bit, and uh, it feels good to to not be on the road. But uh, um, it's been a it's been a great time. So I'm I'm happy in both ways. Happy to be off the road and happy to have served while being on the road. Yeah, I'm gonna put you on the spot here. You you brought up being in your office, and I certainly experienced some of that too. Like when you're out and about, and you don't get to have that office time. Uh, but then when you turn around and maybe you have a day after that or a day or two of, you know, pretty much the full day is office time. Is there any one, you know, activity or task or, you know, just anything that you like to do with that time when you finally have office time? Uh, what do you look forward to the most? After I dust the desk and after I remove the cobwebs, um, then the the next best thing that I'm looking for, just that proactive time, right? Just just making sure that that I am continuing to to grow and to serve and to meet the needs and just to you have to just have a little bit of white space just to make sure that you are checking the boxes and meeting the needs of everyone that essentially you've given a promise to. I promise that I'll be a valid vendor. I'll be a partner. I'll be, you know, and so to me, it's just making sure that I am fulfilling my promise to serve everyone in the highest level. Awesome. Yeah, that's, man, what a great way to spend your time, right? That's, that's excellent. So uh, we're going to continue with a theme we started in the last episode, and that had to do with leaders and their ability to make a business case. And just a quick recap, uh, first off, if you haven't listened to the previous episode, I would strongly recommend that you do that, uh, kind of set you up for contextually what we're going to talk through today. But we really talked about, one, uh, this, you know, not to overstate it, but this epidemic, if you will, that Chris, you especially have experience with leaders that simply aren't making business cases. And it might be because they don't know how, it might be because they're afraid, it might be because they're just doing it the wrong way, whatever. Um, but a leader's job, uh, is to make business cases, right. To make the business successful and especially in the area that that leader is responsible for. Right. And so, like you said, Chris, you're just not seeing that, right? I'm not seeing it. And, and, and Brett, if you and I had to, as, as sort of solopreneurs, as entrepreneurs, if we had to go try to get a bank to loan us money for the business, if we walked in there and said, here's what we need, what, what do you think that bank would expect? Yeah. So, uh, that, that, bank would expect financials. The bank would right. expect performa. The bank would expect projections. The bank would expect you to do your business case if you wanted a loan from that bank. So why would it be any different inside of organizations? We have to make the business case as if we're approaching a bank for a loan. Yeah, no, I love that. Uh, that's exactly the way to look at doing it. And uh, so we're going to go through that today. Some kind of three practical approaches that you have on how to do that. If so, if you listen to the last episode and you're like, Hey, I like how that sounds. I'm just not exactly sure how to, how to do it myself. Well, Chris is going to share with you three main points to keep in mind on how to, as a leader, present a business case uh, that can work. And so let's just jump right in, Chris. I know your first point 
seems obvious, but a lot of times it gets overlooked, and that is know the data. Talk to me about that. <laughs> well, it's really hard to make a business case without data, and we don't necessarily want to be – you don't just lead – from data, you lead with data, mm. uh, but data becomes that key piece. We need to have the analytics in play. And, and so if you don't have the analytics, if you don't have the data, you're just giving an opinion. The data is really what, what trips the switches on the math to be able to say, this is the data, and this is what the data tells us. Mm -hmm. And so when you're able to make that case, you know, some of it is the, you know, the first piece in, in making that argument, you've got to understand that not every spend of money is an expense. Mm -hmm. Some spends of money are an investment. And so as you get into the data and you're saying, I believe we need to spend money on this, and it's not going to be an expense because the return, the benefit to this spend is going to be greater than the initial spend. So that's called an investment, mm -hmm. and that's called the return on the investment. Mm -hmm. And so when you're looking at that first piece, it is, yes, this is going to cost us initially another 100000 in the next three months, but we are going to show benefit by year end of three to 400000 then there's no reason that I wouldn't, if we were playing the slot machine in Vegas, and I knew that every time I pulled the $100,000 lever, I was going to get 400000 in return, you and I would be sitting our happy backsides on bar stools pulling that lever all day, every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, without a doubt. And so there's something you said at the beginning there. I want to ask you to go back and kind of explain it just a bit because it, it caught me. You said to not just lead from the data, but lead with the data. So just to make sure we understand the distinctions there, fill us in. Yeah, so I, I have so many people that just kind of put up the data and they expect the recipient to make sense of the mm. data and so as I'm making the compelling business case, I'm not just making the data-centric case and expecting them to get it. I'm not just submitting a budget upline and, and just expecting them to, to get what I want. I'm going to have to have the data, but then I'm going to have to control the narrative. I'm going to have to weave the story in about what the data says and why we need to do what I'm recommending. And so you're going to have to have to maybe do some pattern recognition of the data. You're going to have to do some trend lines. You're going to have to do something that essentially says the data is compelling in and of itself. But but let me let me talk to you about a couple of things. And you may even walk through that data with something as robust as the cost of failing to act. Hmm. The cost of status quo. Yeah. So I need another $400,000 to preventative maintenance this machine. And they're going, I'm not spending $400,000 to preventative maintenance the machine. And your compelling business case says the machine will break down in two and a half months time because we haven't preventative maintenance it. And what that means to you guys is if the machine goes down, we're going to lose a million dollars in repair. Plus, we're going to lose... $200,000 a day in lost revenue. Hmm. So as you start to make the business case for that, it's it, they can't afford not to spend right. the 200,000 or the 400,000 that you're asking for. Right. Well, and the thing I love about this is when you know the data, you know, I've seen a lot of people, well, watch Shark Tank, right? I mean, they're always asking or telling you, "Hey, you better know your numbers," right? And that just in and of itself absolutely so that you're on top of it. But it also it we talked in our last episode about being passionate and compelled and convicted about your business case. A lot of times 
you don't get all the way there unless you've truly digested and understood this data for yourself, right? I mean, it's it's one thing to go in and have a gut instinct that, hey, this needs to happen. And I think the data will line up, which, you know, many a person has been chewed up and spit out when that happens versus going <laughs> in and knowing the data, you know, and not just knowing the initial data, but then, oh, well, if that happens, then what happens here? And, uh, and that way, you know, you're going into a scenario and at least, you know, they still might turn you down, but they're not going to turn you down because they don't have the data. Yeah, I think it's key. You know, sometimes I have I have thought something. I had my hypothesis, my theory about a about a particular piece, and I ran the numbers, and the numbers didn't work out. Mm. Um, and so it's just kind of an interesting piece. Years ago, as I was you know building some of the first businesses, I started doing the analytics because the cash flow is king, right? If you don't have cash, if you don't have funding, you're going to be in trouble. And one of the things I found is as I was setting these business units up. We would run somewhere between six and eight hundred thousand dollars upside down before it started turning around. But then, with another thirty to forty-five days, we'd be in the black after that. Yeah. So if I didn't have everything ready to roll to understand that I was going to need to float, you know, somewhere between a half and a, and a full million, then then I was going to be in trouble, and I would not. I would have to shut it early, which ultimately would cause a loss. Right. But then in making some of the business cases for some of these other pieces, you know, do we buy in bulk or do we buy, you know, on a piecemeal situation? I thought buying in bulk was cheaper. Turned out buying, uh, you know, individual by individual on some of these uh, made more sense that the way I initially thought the data was going to go actually proved me wrong. And and I actually had more uh, aligned insight to the uh, uh, to the ownership, to the investor side than, than I started with. So the data will help you come with either both sides. You're either going to be more convinced about it or you're going to learn some things that you didn't know and you're going to have that awareness shift. Yeah, I love that part of it too because, you know, really digging in the data, into the data, you know, again, going into it thinking, man, I really want to do this or I really think we should do this and then finding data that maybe doesn't support it, at least at the level you thought it would. That can that can keep you from making business cases that you should not make or it can prompt you to go look for, you know, a much better solution. Right. It can. And and here's one of the things I'm looking for, the sense of empowerment. Right. When when you start to lose the budget battle, you feel very disempowered. You feel very victimized by the lack of headcount. And and in that victimization, you can sort of create this malaise or you can just get, again, defeated around the complacency around the the finance aspect of it. Yeah. And, and I want you to feel empowered. And that empowerment comes into let's let's sharpen the knife. Let, let's get to that grindstone and let's grind it out to where we're razor sharp with our data and we're good in the presentation so that we can win the, the budget battles that need to be won to be able to achieve the funding and ultimately deliver the goods. But this is something Something that is leaders, again, you know, we'll get into the meat of it, but we have to do this as leaders if we want to yield maximum effectiveness for our organization. Yeah. You know, I'm being reminded here of some uh, some moments. I, I, I consider myself very lucky. One of the first corporate jobs I had was I was a promotions coordinator and that quickly ramped up into like, you know, doing some web marketing and then overall marketing. But at the time of this company, you know, you, when you're doing promotions and putting all that together, you know, to do it well, you're coming up with, okay, what are our goals? What are some short-term strategies we can do to help hit those goals? And let's look at the numbers. And I had a CFO at the time who, 
you know, we were going through a, a time of really no one had discretion over their budget only because, you know, it was hard times. And so they were very cool about it and everything, but they said, Hey, we just need everything to come through us and get approved. You need to make a case pretty much for everything. Um, and that was the season. It wasn't that way all the time, but that was that season. Sure. I'm thankful for it because one, the CFO was very giving and a great mentor. And so I would make a case for a, a certain incentive or a promotion and I would bring that to him and he would be very open to it. And then he would show me, you know, kind of what was wrong maybe with my logic or my numbers or what I hadn't thought of, um, you know, and I'd go back to the drawing board. But over time, obviously, not only did it shape my thinking, um, but it also in that certain scenario, I got really good at knowing exactly what he wanted, you know. And so it all came down to and, and I know we'll speak to that later, but it all came down to really knowing my data. Right. And, and sometimes that's you have to just go through that process. You might think, you know, the data. But if you feel like this is a weakness for you, uh, I would encourage you to start finding ways that you can dig into data more and, and start learning from people who you think are better at it. And again, yeah, seek out other resources. So what data should I be looking for? Think about and reach out if there's an internal resource that you can look for, or an external resource, just to say, so what are the subcomponents of the data, right? So when when you look at the cost of turnover, when you look at you know winning some of these headcount battles that I've been talking about, if we hire temp help, what's the cost of a temp um, true cost of a temp. If we have high turnover because we have a bad leader in play and we need to make the business case for trading that leader out, what's the cost of good people leaving? Um, you know, the the industry says if you fail to hire appropriately and train and maximize, any hire that you bring on that's a bad hire, failure to um, onboard appropriately, costs you one to four times that person's salary. Yeah. One to four times one year's salary. And and then if you fail to retain top talent, that can cost you somewhere between four and eight times one year salary. So if you don't know the data, then then you can be, you know, hemorrhaging capital, hemorrhaging cash uh, and, and being completely ineffective in the budget. Or think about this. You know, if we don't do if we don't do this particular piece, if we don't add headcount and our people start burning out and we suffer turnover, quality goes down, customer satisfaction goes down, we lose the next contract. Now we're into the millions or tens or hundreds of millions of dollars because we failed to uh, to add another hundred thousand to bottom line for appropriate headcount. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just doesn't make math sense. Right. Well, and speaking of math, before we move on from this point, it, it strikes me too. All data is not numbers, right, when it comes to business case. So um, you might have the data that you might need to know is, hey, we are not in line with our stated values or our principles or, you know, doing what we're doing right now is not in line with our brand position, you know, or or our product development strategy. Right. So it goes beyond just numbers. Yeah, it does. The The value proposition is one of those key pieces where, you know, you, we say that we're offering a great place to work. And yet here are evidentiary aspects that that essentially tell us that we're not living the values on the wall. Right. And if we we either need to do one of two things, we either need to live it in the halls or we need to take it off the walls. Mm, I like that one. Is that a fullerism? <laughs> it is now. <laughs> yeah, it should be. <laughs> Oh, that's good. So let's I I think that's great. Know your data. That is point number one. And it's hard to to detach these two things. You alluded within that on 
the second point, and that is, you know, once you know the data, building the ROI within your business case, right? I mean, at the end of the day, companies are, at least from a financial standpoint, they are in business to make a profit. So, and get a great return on their investment. So we got to make that in our business case, right? It, it absolutely. And if your company happens to be publicly traded, the demand of Wall Street um, is that you turn the exact number of you, you reach your commitments quarter by quarter. So that's a little bit more of a even brutal, more brutal scenario. But we have to, to look at the return on that investment. If we spend this, what's the benefit? And then we have to drive to that benefit so that, again, our brand, our recommendation continues to elevate, that our voice elevates when we give a scenario, when we do the analytics, when we're effective in critical thinking, and then we make the case and we win the argument. We have to make sure that we deliver that ROI because next time we come in, we need to know that we're winning these battles one by one and appropriately assessing the situation so we can continue that fun train going on with our next and our next and our next ask. Yeah. Any thoughts come to mind, Chris, on that point on, you know, either here are some things you've seen in the past where, hey, presenting ROI or knowing this in a certain way does really well, or on the flip side of that, ways that it's been presented uh, and shared uh, that, you know, is not effective at all. Anything come to mind there? Really, you just have to be recipient centric in your presentation. That's been, you know, one of the keys to me for the last 30 years has been, do you present your case, your business case, in the way that the recipient wants to, likes to, needs to receive it? And if you're sitting there making the argument in the way that you believe is compelling, but the person that's in charge of saying yes, um, maybe they want the bottom line up front and you're going through 4,700 lines of an Excel spreadsheet, you're going to lose that argument um, simply because they're bored with hearing you. So one of the biggest pieces of the presentation is know the audience to whom you are presenting, know what they value, and then provide the information in light of their desired methodology. And 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 one of the key pieces is um, to be crystal clear on the FAQs. So the frequently asked questions of the leader, we need to know what they are and answer those questions first. And if you answer the FAQs before they have a chance to ask the FAQs, guess what? You're brilliant. Mm -hmm. So really get get crystal clear and be very business savvy on who trips those switches and how to influence the influencers of the budget. Yeah. And that's really kind of our third approach here, too, is just knowing, you know, how do I how do I present this in a compelling way to the people that need to receive it? And in a lot of cases, a business case doesn't just get presented to one person. Right. No, it doesn't. If you're going into um, maybe it's a couple of things. I've worked with people that uh, their boss may agree with it, but it's getting to the boss's boss or the boss's boss's boss. And so we have to start to equip every layer of leadership upline to help them win the battle that they're going to need to have upline. And so uh, it just becomes a team effort to be able to, to win some of these arguments and to really go deep. And that becomes uh, really the key piece of being organizationally savvy. What influences, what influences here, how are things done? And, and it, when you become that data-centric, business case, organizationally savvy, presentationally effective, then, then this, these are the things that will be empowering to you where you won't be a victim to the organization 
you will be a, um, a champion within the organization that achieves some of the highest results that that, that organization may have. Mm. So the three points, again, just to keep in mind as you're creating and preparing your business case, obviously know the data. Um, not only does it make for a great presentation, obviously make it very fact-based and numbers-based in many cases, but it also increases your confidence and your conviction over what you're presenting and what you want. Uh, the second point is, uh, once you have that data, build in the return on investment. Make sure that that is clear. Uh, in a lot of instances, there's more than one way to share that, right? There's a financial ROI and there's oftentimes many other ROIs. So don't overlook all of those potential areas. It, it's amazing, Chris, I'm sure you've seen this before, that, that uh, you know, you might share a business case that is just, you know, buttoned up, no brainer. Um, if we spend X, we are going to get 4X in return. And a lot of times it's not that fact that gets an executive to sign off. It's something else that's very almost emotional based or, you know, may, might not even be financially uh, based at all. Right. Exactly. And so, I mean, the, the discretion of the budget is key. And again, if you don't know the trip switches, right, it's like, yeah, I agree. A hundred thousand is going to get us 400. But right now with these scenarios for the next quarter, we don't have the hundred thousand in cash to make that move. Mm -hmm. So context, context, contextualizing the uh, the statement is a key piece, again, to understanding the needs of the of the organization and the person you're pitching. Yep. Which, again, third point is just make sure you present that business case in a way that is compelling to the people you are going to present it to. Um, now, you touched on this just a little, but, you know, we're thinking about business cases right now kind of in a vacuum, right? Ah, here is this business case. So how do I create, how do I prepare this business case? But holistically, um, what does a leader's ability to, you know, present and fight for certain business cases, what kind of influence does that have, you know, from a more long-term standpoint? You know, the scary piece, and, and there's a lot, right? There's a lot that goes into business. I mean, there's there's competing agendas, competing results, and we're fighting over the same dollar pool and cash flow is king and all those things matter, right? Uh, but in the in the midst of it, if if you, this one of the scariest quotes that I've ever given um, uh, is this, the leader's ability to win the budget battle for the team determines whether that team is funded or underfunded. Whether that team is resourced or under-resourced, whether that team is stretched thin and and rawing out the nerves, or whether that team is satisfied, fully equipped, empowered, and delivering the results. So the quality of life within your department is is predicated upon the leader above you's ability to win the budget battle. And for us, that that comes as for us that are that are leaders. That, that makes it really critical that we sharpen the saw around this. For those of us that have leaders above us, and most of us do, it becomes imperative that we support the leader to help them win the budget battles that they need to win uh, for, for the sake of the entire department. Yeah. It reminds me, again, another story. Uh, that first job I mentioned, I'm a little bit further in my career, and I've presented to the executive team and talking about you know knowing your recipients, right? So I've I kind of built this presentation on great marketing. What does great marketing look like here? And here's all these ideas we could do, you know, and it was a lot of fun to put together. Here's, we could do this, we could do that, we could do this, whatever. But then at the end of it, I put together a bar chart and I showed how many employees we had in customer service. And that was a really tall bar. 
how many people we had in legal. That was a pretty tall bar. How many people we had in finance. That was a really tall bar. And then I showed how many people we had in marketing. And there were two, <laughs> there were two people. And so it was a really small bar. And so the whole point was, Hey, I love all of those ideas. It sounds like y'all love all, all those ideas. We're not going to pull any of them off until we staff up here. <laughs> and, right. you know, and so again, they, they started calling it the, my Jerry Maguire moment, um, you know, having that <laughs> manifesto. And fortunately, yeah. it eventually led to some hiring. But I, I say that to say sometimes, you know, you just have to think creatively about that. How do I get people excited and get their blood flowing? And then how do I make it a no brainer for them to agree with the, the business case that I'm presenting? We have a, uh, a business case or a scenario that we talk about where they're in a manufacturing uh, world where there were seven, eight, 10, 20 plants, something like that, um, that a, a person in purchasing at the home office was making the case for centralized purchasing of um, gloves, just gloves for the, for the manufacturing operations. And so put a spreadsheet together and showed how every plant's purchasing manager was buying these exact same gloves at, at 20 to 30 different prices. And so we put the spreadsheet up there and it went nowhere, even though it was going to save the company hundreds of thousands of dollars by through centralizing this purchasing. Mm. So he couldn't win the battle on that. So he, he essentially, in the room next to the executive boardroom, he built a mound of gloves <laughs> with large price tags on each glove. And so as the executives went into their next boardroom um, board meeting, they looked at this mound of gloves and obviously it caught their attention and they went over and started picking it up and started saying, well, what's why is this glove more than this glove? And, and he said, I'm glad you asked. Um, they're the exact same gloves. Well, why are we paying this over this? Huh. And essentially because of the visual, um, the art project, if you will, he was able to win the argument for his point of view, but he didn't just come at it once. He didn't just come at it one way. He came at it and made the compelling business case and compelling is how am I going to shift their awareness to be able to win the argument? Man, I love that. And I love that use of the word awareness too, because that's exactly what it is. In a lot of cases, a lot of times when you're making a business case, you are illuminating an area of awareness, right? That, that was not there before. And so to be creative in how you present it, you know, a spreadsheet doesn't always illuminate the way that other things can, right? <laughs> exactly. So I think, uh, again, as a leader, you have to give your business case its best chance and obviously for your team. Now, Chris, I want to ask kind of one last question before we close this episode down. Sometimes you can do all of these things. Uh, really well. I mean, spot on. The data is there. The ROI is clear. Uh, you you present it in a compelling way uh, and you still get told no. Um, what what should you do in that situation and what are the takeaways in that situation? Well, the first piece is I, I think that you have to, number one, learn what needs to get learned, right? So how do I sharpen? I may have lost this battle, but I need to make sure that I win the war and win the next time. Mm. So, you know, pull back. Was there a way that you could do it more effectively? But don't give up. I mean, just because you got a no once doesn't mean that you're going to get a no a second or third or fourth time. So I want you to be diligent about coming to that. But then secondarily, pull back, sharpen the saw, try to figure out how do we, sh how do we make a better business case and just... Uh, 
again, continue to to come at it. Um, I would say, you know, one of the one of the things that I've done is try to um, try to start making business cases on things that you, you it doesn't really matter, um, the things you're not really passionate about. And if you can make the business cases on the small things or you lose some of the small battles before you go into the big battle, I'd rather lose three small battles trying to learn my enemy than lose a big battle going after the big fish right up front. Oh, that's great. So hopefully this has been helpful to you. Again, if you make sure you listen to the previous episode, we talk a little bit about the basis of understanding for making a business case. And then in this episode, obviously walking you through just some, some very practical ways to make stronger, better, more uh, productive, more effective business cases. Um, come check us out at influenceleadership.com. Lots of great resources there. Lots of information on the work that Chris does with companies. Lots of freebies in terms of videos and uh, PDFs and all types of things that you can download. And definitely connect with us online. Uh, leave a comment and rate the podcast if you would. That means a lot to us. And connect with us on Facebook. Um, and continue to listen. Subscribe to this podcast. Go back, listen to some previous episodes. We've got quite a few for you to listen to there. Uh, but as we wrap this, Chris, any final words? You know, I just want to encourage you to 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 be diligent about your business, to sharpen the acumen again, just to refresh that. If we were going into business, if you wanted to get a loan from a bank, you would have to have an amazing business case to be able to unlock the money from that bank. So I want you to see that making the compelling business case inside your organization is no different. You're just going to the central bank of your company and, and making that case. And if you want life to be better, if you know that you have these particular needs and this is what you need to fulfill your role, do the data, do the analysis, work that scenario into a place where you can win the argument and just want to encourage it. Just start, just try, just, just you know, step by step, learn the methods and ultimately um, you'll get the resourcing that you need as we sharpen that saw. And I really appreciate you guys listening. It, it means a lot to me that, uh, that you guys are on the other side of the speaker and that this is why that Brett and I do this is to add value to you. And as we're adding that value, just ask you a favor, just shoot us a line, drop me an email, drop me a uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, any sort of uh, you know message just to say, I really appreciate this. And uh, this is added value. And, and tell me some of the success stories. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Influence Leadership Podcast. Mm-hmm.